And right, we've got a very special speaker this morning. Um, I was reading the bio, it's quite an impressive bio, I must say, <laughs> like it's a good one. Right, so he planted and led Hub Church, was a Skylark International Director until last year, um, works for Bible Society as Director of Domestic Mission, he's a church planter, a leader, um, and an ambassador of Home for Good. So I'd love to welcome to you to share this morning, Nigel Langford. Good morning. I was trying to recognize who that person was. That was a fantastic intro. I'm going to pay, pay you to do some marketing for me. That's uh, absolutely fantastic. Oh, do you know, it's so great, so great to be here. And I love this church. And I love Peter Nicky. And <clears throat> love so many of you here. You know, we've laughed. We've cried. We've served. And we've been sent from here, not sent off, but sent out, and there's a big difference, um, to plant a, a church in northeast London. And we have incredibly precious memories. So when we come back, it literally feels like we're coming home. And we feel at home. So thank you so much for your warm welcome. So, the main essence of a portrait is to capture the representation of a person with the intent to display their likeness, their personality, and their mood. And I thought it would be really great fun, before we got going, to have a look at some portraits and to get some feedback from you as to what you're thinking and feeling they are particularly representing. So let's have a look at this, this first one. Now, I don't know if uh, any of you know this incredible artistic piece. You can interact, it's fine. Um, I don't know if any of you know this uh, incredibly artistic piece. Great, this is Mona Lisa, a piece of art by Leonardo da Vinci in 1503, and it was at the height of the Italian Renaissance. Now, I'm not sure if Mona Lisa would have been overjoyed by this. I mean, because the way she's portrayed to me is, I don't think I'd invite her to my cheese and wine party. But there's this, there's this really enigmatic look, isn't there? What is she really thinking? Is she happy or is she sad? There's a deep sense of mystery. Let's try another one. Does everybody know this person in this photographic portrait it's Abraham Lincoln so we need to be like you know we have to be technically correct this is Abraham Lincoln taken by a guy called Matthew Brady in 1860 and it's when Abe because I know him personally it's when it's 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 when Abe decided to run for the Republican nomination for president of the United States and we know that he won that and then the Civil War broke out but you look at that photo and you kind of think to yourself, it's a don't mess kind of photo, isn't it? It's a kind of thing that he wants the political opponents to look at and say, if you want to mess with me, then you're going to get messed with completely. Now, saying that, I saw a photo of my great-grandparents uh, just a couple of weeks back. 
And some of those older photos, they're really quite terrifying, aren't they? I don't know if you've seen the look on people's faces. I just don't think the selfie would have worked back then, you know. And I'm, I'm looking at my grandparents, and they're looking at great-grandparents, and they're looking at me. I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to meet you or not. But let's go to something even more relevant, even more up to this particular point of our time, the lockdown of Christmas 2021. Let's have a look at uh, another piece of art here. <laughs> right? It's a little bit closer to home, isn't it? And I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the photographer is trying to capture here, but the photographer is on the front row in blue. But this is my son and I on Boxing Day. Do you remember that last minute lockdown we all had? And it was, it was only breakfast time at this particular point. That's all I really need to tell you. But the truth of the matter is, is that portraits, they speak to us about something and someone. And I've been given the very simple task of looking at the portrait of Holy Spirit. Nothing too complex when Pete called me up. Nothing too hard to get your head round. But all I can do today, really, is I really want you to have your appetites wet so that you will go deeper in searching for Holy Spirit in your life. And, and I want to say this, even though we're talking about Holy Spirit today, we cannot divorce Holy Spirit from Father and Son. They are three in one, one in three. You can get your head around it over lunch, okay? But we cannot divorce them. So I will be making references to other members of the team, other members of the family. We're going to be looking at four attributes capturing Holy Spirit today. The mood, the personality, and the likeness. And unlike all other portraits you have heard preached from this platform, this one is alive and in this room right now. It feels a bit rude to talk about somebody when they're already in the room, isn't it? But don't worry, Holy Spirit is going to make himself known. He's here, but he's going to make himself known more and more and more as we go through this morning. He was here as we were worshipping. And it's like he just increases, the presence increases and the presence increases. And, and I, I really believe we're going to feel and see Holy Spirit working in many different ways. So we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and Acts 2. So it's literally going to be a very large narrative from creation and Pentecost. And then I'm going to do a very mini mic drop in Acts 10 at the very end. Okay, so, so that's what we, we're going to do. So the first attribute, hovering. Let me read from Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know what I love about this, and I'm going to get quite excited about this, because like, I'm Welsh and I'm passionate, and I love this stuff. So Pete knew what he was doing when he gave me this, this subject, Pete and Nikki. We see from the outset that the heart of Holy Spirit is to hover. And do you know what hover means? It means to be poised with intent. Poised with intent over the darkness and the confusion and the emptiness. 
And this narrative, it comes screaming out of the story of Scripture in the first few sentences. You don't have to read pages and pages to find out what this novel is all about. What's this story all about? In the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over nothingness. Let me suggest to you in this day, in this time, there's not a more powerful message for this world. That over the deepest darkness of pain and difficulty, the Spirit of God, and it's interesting, isn't it, that it's the first thing that's mentioned of Holy Spirit, hovered, poised with intent over the darkest places. You know, um, many of us here, uh, we would have walked through this together, but I'm going to tell you a, a, a short story about Nikki and my journey through infertility, and, and we tried for years to have a family, and the, uh, let me just say this, there's no worse place to try for a family, not literally, but there's no worse place, <laughs> just context, um, there's no, there's no... <laughs> There's no worse place to try for a family than church. Because we're all full of verses and other things, okay? Uh, we're all full of stuff that we're trying to get across as we're journeying it through. And we went through so many highs, so many lows. Pete and Nikki, how many times did we go to Nando's and cry over our chicken medium heat, you know? And, and you know, we, would, we were wrestling it through. And we had a high one day after a very long time where Nikki fell pregnant. And we thought, oh my goodness, this is incredible. This is the miracle that we feel is going to happen. And then on our wedding anniversary, just a few months later, on our wedding anniversary, we miscarried. And there was this deep sense of low. And a number of things happened to the point where we'd been to the hospital and had some quite devastating news. And we walked down from the hospital, down to Tower Hill. And the London Marathon was on, and I just remember feeling lost and dark and broken and bruised. And to be honest, wondering whether anything I'd ever believed in was actually true. Are you good, God? Really? Where are you, God? And as I looked, I saw um, <clears throat> runners starting to appear at the beginning. And there were two runners, and I looked and I thought... Why are they running at the same pace? You know, this, is a, this is a race. What are you doing? Come on. Somebody gets a month in you and get in front. And then I realized it was the blind runners who were attached to another runner. And the Spirit of God hovered over my darkness. He was poised with intent. You know, sometimes when you're poised with intent, you don't think something or someone is about because you can't feel them, you can't see them. But he was hovering over the dark place and spoke into my heart and said, that's you and me. You cannot see where you're going at the moment. You're not going to finish the race on your own. You can't even see around the bend. You can't see the next step. But you're going to finish and you're going to make it because you're connected to me. Because you're connected to me. And so we went away and Nikki and I were just thinking and talking. And then she told me, about the dream of the blonde boy. And I remember I felt quite threatened uh, at the beginning of that. I thought, what blonde boys have you been dreaming of? I mean, you know, <laughs> surely I'm your blonde boy. You know, I mean, you know, Chesney, Hawks and Jason Donovan. I mean, you know, we've got over that now. 
the, the one and only, apparently. Um, and Nikki said, do you remember the dream about the blonde boy? And, I, and the reason why we'd like pushed through and through and through in this journey was because Nikki had a dream about a blonde boy. And what's really remarkable is, here's the blonde boy. And we adopted. I'm not going to say his name, okay, publicly. But we adopted. And to cut the story, which I could go on for five hours, believe me, all my friends know. Um, <laughs> Reginald's birthday is the same, is basically the due date of the child that we lost. Around that time. And so it really hit us that the Holy Spirit is really into hovering over our darkness. He is not absent. I don't know where any of you are this morning, but he is not absent. And maybe the outcomes we dream of cloud our understanding of what Holy Spirit may be doing. Maybe we try to plan our own resurrections. I mean, have you read Christ's resurrection? I wouldn't have done it that way. I'm going to have a word with him after. For all that suffering... I would have had a Porsche, a band, I would have had a roast, a barbecue, I'd have been like, here I am. I'm suddenly thinking that, you know, even Mary didn't know who Jesus was. She thought he was the gardener. I mean, what kind of resurrection is that? And sometimes, don't we, we, we plan our own resurrections. But Holy Spirit hovered over Jesus raised him from the dead and he's in the business of doing that for all of us second one so we're one down three to go creating the second attribute of holy spirit creating literally means bringing something into existence at creation there's an encounter between darkness and light the heavens and the earth are created and we start to see glimpses of what it would mean to be fully human on the earth we start to get a revelation of that and it was good and the hebrew word good and god have got very similar roots in the language so when god said it was good he meant i can see me all over this i can see my fingerprints all over this it was all for God's children, all of God's children, all of humanity, made in the image of God, no exclusion. I'm building on from Genesis 1.1, which indicate Holy Spirit's involvement as creator of the heavens and the earth. We go to Genesis 2.7, and, and so, you know, Holy Spirit's been doing all this stuff in creation, and now we start to see the role in creating humanity. And it says this in 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath, ruach, the breath of life, another term for Holy Spirit. And the man became a living being. Now I just want you to stop and think for a minute. Please, stop and think. Ponder that you have the living breath of God flowing through your veins right now. I want you to do is a very simple exercise. I want you to breathe on your fingers, right? Let's do it through the nostrils first. 
Let's do it like that. Ready? That's a really good posture, because if you do that and you, and you squint your eyes, it comes out fast. <laughs> Feel that. Feel that. Now, don't, don't do it to the person next to you, because, you know, that, and, and, you know, breathe on your hands. <sighs> and again, if you'd had garlic the night before, please be careful. But, you know, that feeling, that feeling should remind us of ruach. You don't have breath in your body by accident. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's look quickly at John 20, 22, talking about Jesus. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I love, I love this. I love that there is a parallel that Jesus is drawing here with his disciples about creation. As the Spirit went from hovering over void and darkness in Genesis 1 to breathing into Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. So Jesus breathes the Spirit over his disciples. Creation being made out of the void, divine love pouring into the barrenness and into the pain and the suffering of the lives of those disciples and their communities. And you know, so many of us were taught, weren't we, to read scripture from Genesis chapter 3 onwards. I remember growing up, I didn't know Genesis had chapter 1 and 2. Seriously, I mean, I thought numerically it was a bit odd, you know, but, but everything I ever heard was Genesis chapter 3. Everything's gone wrong, God is in a bad mood, you're in serious trouble. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming. Look busy, right? I mean, that was literally, that was literally the narrative that I grew up with. But you see, if you don't start at the beginning, you're going to end up in the wrong destination. And the fingerprints of Father God are all over us. The Ruach breath of Holy Spirit was a part of creating us. We are all mini portraits of God, pieces of art. May I even suggest mosaics? Smashed pieces of glass. Aren't we just smashed pieces of glass that an incredible creator has pulled together? And when his light shines through it, there's a haunting beauty. We are mosaics. Doesn't that make you want to cry out in worship to God? We were created to create. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. How many of you know that you can create without saying anything? Have you ever walked into a room with a bad atmosphere? Right? You don't have to say anything. But you walk in and it's like something has died in here. I think it's a sense of humor. But something has died in here. And you walk in and you just suddenly think, hang on a minute. Like something's not quite right I can see people looking at each other going that's you that is that's you <laughs> you know if you had an argument in the car like we did on the way over and we nearly hit Dave Alloway on the A12 you know you realize yeah that's you it's your fault you know yeah you create oh what you create's unbelievable but you see life-giving life-giving creativity can only thrive with the Holy Spirit. We can create lots of things, but my guess is we're all here because we're interested in creating life-giving things. And actually, the first spiritual gift that's released in Scripture is not in the New Testament. It's in Exodus 31, 1 through 5. And I'm, can I read it in a kind of, 
in a Welsh kind of way. Because like, you know, like you read the scripture, I think it needs a little bit sometimes. We've got to read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I'm, I am Welsh by the way. I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, not Ben-Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God. He's made an early entrance. With wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze. To cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Maybe we've been very narrow in where we think Holy Spirit is creative. We need to release the carpenters. Not the, not the band. We need to release the carpenters. We need to release the painters, the designers. I know that you are epic at releasing the musicians here. I love that. But I think there's so many spheres of life where we've narrowed Holy Spirit down. And we sing Spirit Break Out. And he said, I did in Acts chapter 2. And we get into that in a minute. He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us. Creativity means something out of the void, hope out of despair, light out of darkness, bringing into existence a new vision of what it means to be fully human. Acts 2, 1 to 4, I'm going to jump into empowering and this is going to be a bit quicker, these last two. And the first two verses that I've, I've chosen are actually from the King James Version because I love the King James Version. And it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Three and four in the NIV, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, what separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. This empowering literally means filling. It means filling with authority and power. That's what it means. So that you will be able to move. Now the difference between authority and power can be seen in a prison guard. The prison guard has got keys, got the power to open all the cells there. But he has, or she has, no authority to do it unless instructed to do so. But Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now go. Let me just throw something into the mix just before that. So I know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing the R card this morning. I, I suddenly realized that when I look at myself. But we have this authority and power in the name of. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that speaks to, firstly, before we do anything, it speaks to our identity. And in Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, please don't take my name in vain. We carry the name of the Lord wherever we go. And actually what it means is, don't dishonor my name. Carry my name well. As sons and daughters and heirs, we have been adopted into God's family. My son is now the rightful heir to everything we have. He hasn't done anything to achieve that. He is my son at my table, but this intimacy brings a sense of responsibility. Will you carry my name well, Reginald? Will, will you carry my name well? 
And so in the name of literally means carry my name well. That is why I believe the fruit of the Spirit is more important or doesn't get as much time as the gifts of the Spirit because character completely trumps gifting. You know, it's really weird having the terms trump and character in the same sentence. I, I, I know that's a little bit interesting. But you see, empowering in our identity, empowering in our identity gives us an anchor for our character. So before we start running out there, breathing on everyone, please don't do that, by the way, there's, there's this sense of how I live matters. We need to know the authority in which we walk in before we start walking. We need to have confidence in who has sent us. We need to know who lives inside of us, who created us. Pentecost, in many ways, is creation reborn. Because suddenly the light of the world that comes with tongues of fire, with this, in, in the form of Holy Spirit coming upon those people, now says, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. And this empowering leads to my final point, to mobilizing. Acts 2, 5 to 8. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Let's jump to 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. See, the effect of empowering, the effect of getting to know who we are in Christ is this organizing for movement. And what we've done for too long is organized for movement before knowing who we really are. And the movement has become severely undermined and severely flawed in character because it's become about us and not about him. And the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, makes it about him. And we see movement. They run out into the streets and they're speaking in other languages. And people are saying they've had way too much wine. And they've come from Galilee. And what they mean by that is they're not educated. They're rude. They're coarse. And they're not qualified. Let me just say this as I come into land. We don't get to choose who Holy Spirit comes upon. And we don't get to choose who he mobilizes. That was that slide. The key question, jumping on, and again, I realize in 30 minutes, I'm literally doing um, what I would call a McDonald's drive-through of Holy Spirit. Okay, you need, to, you need to go, you need to get the meat of it yourself. I want, I want you to go away and get the meat of it yourself. But the key question that we are provoked to think about as the church, as it starts to multiply from that place, is in Acts 10. And go away and read Acts 10. Because this then becomes about who do we let in as we mobilize? Who, who are we to call things and people clean and unclean like it's all now about table fellowship who's eating around our table and how we mobilize around the table matters so to conclude 
the portrait of Holy Spirit looks and feels something like this, okay? Poised with intent over our brokenness to bring something into being. A vision of humanity in our life that surpasses even our own understanding. As he creates, he empowers us to do the same. (laughs) Remembering who we are and that we are sent to partner with God in the world. That we carry his name well and invite everyone to the table. You know, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. I wonder, just for a few moments, if it's okay, could we... Could we allow Holy Spirit to hover over our dark places? Would we allow Holy Spirit to mobilize us, to speak to us about our identity? If we could stand just for a moment. And I wonder if if any of those things that I mentioned this morning around the hovering bit, the poise with intent, the sort of creativity, God bringing something to life, the empowering, the, the identity, the, the, the feeling of, I just don't know. I just really don't know who I am. 